There is no cure. We can only try to extend your life. That was the message. Now the message is completely different. There, as Matt said, there's options A, B, C, D. And every year, you find new things that are coming up that can treat you. So it's no longer a death sentence when it goes metastatic. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today my guests are Matt Old and Terry Keegan. Matt is the director of the Head and Neck Cancer Division at the James, and Terry is one of Matt's patients. I've known Matt for a couple years and just met Terry a couple minutes ago. So together, we'll learn about Terry's long cancer journey the -the state-of-the-art treatment he received here at the James for Matt and his team, and the ongoing connection between this doctor and his patient. Welcome, Matt and Terry. Good morning, Steve. Good to be here. Thanks, Steve. So let's start with Terry. I want to just start with your diagnosis, how you found out that you had a, a form of head and neck cancer and how you met Matt. Okay. It started in June of 2011. I was sitting at the kitchen table, and I just uh, felt a small pea-sized lump in the side of my neck. Um, Went to our um, general practitioner. He saw it and checked my history, and he said, well, it's mostly an infection. So he gave us some antibiotics and uh, went back a couple weeks later. It was still there. He said, well, let's go see an ENT. So he sent me to a local ENT where I live, and they um, did a um, biopsy at a local hospital, and a biopsy came back, and it was squamous cell carcinoma. So he said, well, you have cancer. And then I passed out. Literally passed out, or are you? Literally passed out. Wow. Like and in the doctor's office? In the doctor's office. Wow. And he, then he put, took some forceps, stuffed them down my throat, and then got a, a, a tissue sample for further evaluation. But he said, you can go to the, uh, the James at, in Columbus. You can go to Cleveland. You can go to Cincinnati. And I said, well, I want to go to the James. And that's where you met Matt. That's where I first met Matt, yes. So before we get to that first meeting, how, Matt, how common is that, the Terry situation where you feel something and the doctor thinks it's an infection or, or, and then they prescribe antibiotics and then it doesn't work? I mean, is that, does that happen a lot? Yeah, it's the usual modality that people like Terry uh, present with is, is a lump in the neck. And most of the time, it is infection. And most patients have about an eight-month to 10-month history of having symptoms or signs like a lump in the neck before they present to one of us. So, so Terry, it, it was a faster turnaround for him to get to you. Correct. Which I'm, I'm guessing is probably beneficial. Absolutely. So your general practitioner and the ENT person did the right things. Absolutely. Very quick. And so... There you are, you and your wife, Donna, who was here in the studio with us. Uh, you go to see Matt. Right. And I'm guessing you're nervous. Very much so, because you, know, you have that diagnosis and you don't have a lot of history of, of family members having it. So you're just very unsure at the time. Um, so Matt assembled his entire team and uh, you know, made everything more comfortable as far as explaining what was going to be coming up. So, Matt, you do this a lot where your first visit of patients, and, and, and that must be a very important visit. So sort of go through what you, you told Terry and Donna about the, the bigger picture of head and neck cancer and then his particular cancer. Sure. So the particular cancer that Terry had started at the back of the tongue or the base of the tongue and tonsils, and, and we're hearing more and more about it as it, we're in an epidemic uh, of tonsil and tongue-based cancer due to HPV. And so it's very common for us to see uh, patients such as Terry every week. 
Um, so when sitting down and talking with uh, Terry and Donna uh, and the family, uh, we first assess the tumor, we assess where it is, assess the different options for treatment. And then we go through what does it mean to have this cancer. And the, the fortunate thing about HPV-related HPV tonsil or tongue-based cancer is, is it's very treatable. And, and the cure rates are extremely high. In about 80 to 90% of people, as long as they don't smoke, um, it, in, in addition to what their uh, other lifestyle modifications and things and drink. Smoking previous or once they've been diagnosed? Or both. Both. Okay. both, yeah. If they have a heavy smoking history, it, it tends, to, tends to decrease their chances of cure. Um, they still are curable, but not as much as, as people who don't smoke and don't drink while they have HPV. Terry, you were you a smoker? Not at all, never. Which, and probably in your case, made you you know why did I get this cancer? You yeah. always go through that why, but it's not very productive, so you sort of move past that. Yeah. Just to go back to what you were saying, Matt, about the H, the human papilloma virus, sure. we're learning more and more that that's mm-hmm. causing more and more head and neck cancers, and that perhaps we can reduce that with the vaccination. That's correct. So we've we've discovered that there is uh, one to two subtypes that are causing uh, these tonsil and tongue-based cancers, very uh, similar to, to cervical cancer. And we have vaccines already in existence that can prevent uh, these cancers. Uh, the trouble are that the vaccination rates aren't as good as we would like them. And the onset or the latency from the time of exposure, which typically occurs in the collegiate or teenage years, to the onset of cancer can be 20, 30 years later. And so uh, the vaccination rates to tie it into a cancer that you may be preventing that far down the road has been difficult. Uh, fortunately, the FDA has has uh, approved the vaccine to be given up to the age of 45 now. Um, and so we really are working with our pediatricians and, 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 and general community and practitioner community to uh, increase vaccination rates. Yeah, I didn't know about this until uh, doing this podcast and learning about this. Terry, did you know about the connection between HPV and cancer? Not at all. Yeah, I think that's a that's something we need to educate people on and we can... The, the greatest way to end cancer is to prevent it. So, Yeah, and absolutely. And they do predict that it may be the most common cancer in the age group of 45 to 65 uh, in about 10 years uh, based on the rates that we're seeing at this juncture. So, okay, so Terry presented with a sort of a, well, every cancer is different, but sort of a classic HPV base of the tongue cancer. Correct. At what stage was Terry's cancer? How early did you catch it? So at that, at that time, uh, it was a stage three, um, but we've undergone a different staging system now because the old stage, staging system lumped in HPV positive and negative. And what we've learned over the last 10 to 15 years is they behave completely differently. So he would actually be restaged as a, a stage one or two uh, based on when we uh, saw him eight and a half years ago. St- meaning it hadn't metastasized and gone far? At that time, yep. Terry, when you met Matt and his team, it's very important to have kind of confidence in your doctor to have a connection. Did you did that happen right away? Um, from my standpoint, it did. Uh, my wife mentioned that Matt looked very young, so uh, she was <laughs> that was one, eight years ago. That yeah. was eight years ago. Yes, he still looks young. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> he assembled his team, and they were going through you know what 
was going to be involved with surgeries and possible physical therapy afterwards and diet. So it's a lot to absorb at first. Matt, how do you handle that knowing that you're going to present a patient and their caregiver a lot of information? Mm-hmm. It's it, it depends on the patient and the family and their ability to absorb it because sometimes the the blinds go over the eyes and the ears and, and they yeah. don't hear much. And so you really have to be flexible with that first visit. And fortunately, we have a huge team to be able to trade off. And and, and sometimes, uh, you know, the nurses are better explaining things in a different way than we are. And so we, we use a team approach. But in those first few minutes, it's pretty evident on how much a patient wants to know or not know. And in and in Terry's case, it, he wanted to know, but he also was already moving to what's the next steps. You know, you could tell he's a doer and yeah. a very action oriented. And so um, presenting being, you know, in Terry's case, very factual, uh, presenting the options and, and the different risks and benefits and then coming up with a plan. And, and he wanted to move through that quickly. So what were the risks and benefits and what was the plan for Terry? Sure. So when Terry presented, we really uh, we just started um, doing robotics uh, probably a few years back uh, prior to seeing Terry. If a tumor is amenable to a robotic surgery, uh, you can do it all through the mouth, and then you do have to take out lymph nodes in the neck. And if it's just one lymph node and you're able to get around the tumor uh, well, that's all you do is just is a surgery, and then there's recovery for about four four or five weeks. Uh, and, and patients do extremely well if you can get away with surgery alone. However, uh, radiation is also an option. So radiation is an option to, to cure this, um, but it's a generally a prolonged uh, treatment um, with consequences of, of saliva and swallowing and other things. And so we try to either go fully a surgical route with sometimes reducing the radiation uh, or doing radiation or chemoradiation uh, alone. What, what what did you wind up doing with for Terry? So we did robotic surgery. So uh, his tumor was at the, the back of the tongue and um, went through his mouth and took out the tumor with the robot. Uh, You're operating the, yeah, the robot. Yeah, okay. I didn't tell the robot what to do, but I actually, yeah, yeah. I, I was doing it. Exactly. Okay. So I was doing it, and, and it allows us to get uh, four hands inside to be able to remove the tumor. That makes sense because – you it's hard it's a, a small space to get into the back that's yeah. four or five inches back yeah. it's very hard to get to exactly but by hand exactly okay and so his tumor was accessible um we got it out and then i, I did a neck dissection on both sides and he had uh, one node positive on one side uh and no nodes positive on the other say the thing you did again a neck ne- neck dissection L- literally is that the yeah, word you, neck yeah. is yeah. so you you so we'll explain what that is. <laughs> so you make an incision on the neck. Uh, you find all the structures you want to keep, uh, the arteries, the veins, the nerves, and then you take out all the lymph nodes and fatty tissues. And the pathologist will look through those lymph nodes and see if there are any aggressive features, how many lymph nodes are in the specimen, and that helps predict whether or not you need radiation or chemoradiation after surgery. And is the pathologist doing that while you're doing the surgery? Um, the pathologist is doing that with the primary tumor, meaning at the back of the tongue. So I take out the primary tumor at the back of the tongue, and then I send what's called margins around it, so samples all around. And the pathologist tells us whether or not we're clear, and, and they're doing that while we're doing the neck dissection. What did you find when you were, were in there with the robotic surgery? 
very teeny small tumor at the back of his tongue and um, were able to get around it. Uh, but it was close. It was close on the on the edges, but my what we call final margins were 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 negative. But it was pr- it was pretty close. And what, what does that mean? It was close on the margins. So within millimeters of the the cut edge of the surface underneath, there there the cells were close to that edge, and so you want to really get around it. But it's a space you can't really take out a lot uh, without having a huge functional impact. Yeah, I think with head and neck cancer, there are so many body parts, mm-hmm. uh, the functional body parts in and around the neck and the mouth. that you. Ha- so if I'm understanding right, you want to be a, as, as the least invasive you can because that helps the quality of life later. Yeah, it's a, it's a definite balance. And you hope to be able to do that and decide on the front end where you decide whether or not you do the intervention or whether it's going to impact that. That's why we involve the speech and swallow pathologist, uh, and we do functional assessments with the very first appointment. Yes, because I've heard from some people you can have issues with with relearning. You have to relearn to speak. Mm -hmm. You have to relearn to swallow, breathe, Mm -hmm. uh, producing saliva. There can be just so many uh, side effects from surgery and chemo and radiation. Correct. Um, so the, your surgery went well, it sounds like. Went very well. Uh, recovery period was uh, about 10 days afterwards. Um, and, and my um, uh, functions as far as eating, swallowing, they were all you know, back to normal uh, very quickly. But somewhere down the road, something happened. About a year later, um, there was another, I felt another lump in my neck. Uh, and then on a regular visit with, uh, uh, with Matt, um, they did a, a biopsy there, and it came back again, squamous cell carcinoma. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to learn about what turned out to be a longer and a perhaps more difficult cancer journey than, than we thought at first. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Matt Old and Terry Keegan, and and Terry, from from what you hinted at before, uh, after your surgery, uh, I'm not sure how long after you you had a reoccurrence. About a year later, after the surgery, there was uh, I felt another small lump in the side of the neck on the same side. Um, so on a regular visit to see Matt, uh, they did a biopsy in his office, and it uh, came back the same uh, squamous cell carcinoma. So again, you you heard those words again. You have cancer. What was your reaction this time? Um, pretty much the same as it was the first time, but I was used to going through it once. So it was uh, you know you get a little more more used to hearing those words. You have more information, education. Exactly. You sort of know yeah. a little more what to expect. I know there are treatments available that will help you. So Matt, how common is that, and in, in sort of what happened in in Terry's case? Um, we're finding it in people who don't smoke that the recurrence rate is is less than 20%, sometimes less than 10%. Unfortunately, um, the, that 10 to 20% that do recur, we really are tr- don't know why they do, uh, particularly when they have favorable prognosis. 
Um, but in particular, 10% do um, recur either at that site, uh, in the neck, or distantly in, in very odd locations. And, we, and we're still trying to understand that today. So when you find this reoccurrence, is the, the treatment plan different because it's reoccurred? Or, or how, what is the treatment plan for Terry when, when you find, found this? So we reviewed it at Tumor Board, and, and I sat down with Terry and Donna. And the, and the recommendation is to surgically excise this. Remove it. Uh, remove okay. it. So uh, a revision neck dissection. Uh, and then postoperatively, we would do chemo and radiation. Whereas you didn't the first time, correct? But this time, because it's reoccurred, mm-hmm. you want to take that as extra steps, right? It's biologically more aggressive than than the usual HPV tumors. Oh, because it's come back, it's biologically correct. more aggressive, mm-hmm. meaning it has more mutations or stronger mutations, or and we're still trying to yeah. figure that out today. So yeah, we don't we don't understand, but that those ten to twenty percent that do come back, they just behave much differently than the rest of the population. So, Terry, you had a second operation and then chemo and radiation. Correct. How, how did you handle that? How was that? The, the radiation portion was very, very difficult. I mean, you go through 35 days, five days a week for seven weeks, of radiation of the entire neck area plus the base of the tongue again. Um, so just the radiation for that amount of time for my type of uh, – it, it's either skin or heritage or whatever – um, it was almost like a very, very severe sunburn on the entire neck by the time we got finished. They give you steroids uh, because of the chemo as well. So steroids and me, they, uh, um, I'm uh, almost up 25 hours a day, it seems like. It just, just gets me wired. Oh, the steroids? The steroids themselves. So you, you can't sleep very well, plus the pain, plus you're on medication for the pain. Um, it's very difficult. How much during this time is the support of your family and friends, having a positive attitude? How do you kind of handle this, this difficult time? Well, that's the, one of the keys in going through this is to have support. And my wife, Donna, has been the best support that I have ever um, could ever need. Well, since we have Donna here, um, I'm going to take advantage of that and introduce you. And let everyone know, caregivers are sort of the unsung heroes of the cancer journey. So, Donna, what is it like for you as the caregiver, and and what was your role in all this for your husband? Um, In the beginning, it was very scary. I was 52 years old, and Terry has always been the rock and just the leader of our family. And so it was very scary in the beginning, and both our boys took it very hard. And um, I go to every appointment with them. I've learned that I take notes and I have books from eight years of books, notebooks that I write everything down that they say so we can go home and review everything. Yeah, that's important because sometimes Terry's a little bit in shock. So it's important for you to take notes and ask questions. And sometimes he passes out. Sometimes? Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I write everything down and then we review it. And um, I know you're not supposed to Google, but I Google a lot and usually at three o'clock in the morning. And uh, but as the years have gone by, you kind of get stronger and um, you just take it one day at a time. That's our that's our motto. One day at a time. Every day is a gift. And uh, we just move on, move forward. Terry's very positive, and uh, 
humorous, and um, that makes it a lot easier. He's so brave, and he never complains. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he's right when he says the radiation was probably the worst part of this whole thing. Uh, me driving and him in the backseat of the car, very sick. And he, he didn't mention he had to get a feeding tube. He couldn't swallow at all. So um, that was probably the worst part of this whole journey for him. We met Dr. Old on our 30th wedding anniversary. Tell them about the story of uh, how you and Matt interacted one time. So when it reoccurred and uh, then we were told he should have the radiation, he did not, he still didn't want to, he thought he wouldn't be able to speak or do anything. So um, I, Matt had given me his cell phone number and I would never, ever bother him. But I was so upset that Terry didn't want to have that radiation. I called Matt's cell phone to talk to him and he picked up like the second ring and he was talking to me and so wonderful and I heard all this noise in the background and I said where are you and he said I'm with Molly his wife and we're having the baby and he and and she was in the background having a baby and he answered my phone call and from that day forward I knew that he is our best doctor we could have ever had and this whole journey has involved Matt Old, Dr. Matt Old, and um, we trust him. And um, yes, so he, he was the best thing that happened to us with the worst thing that happened to us. So Matt, how far into labor was your wife when you got this call? Yeah, let's clarify. She's very early, early <laughs> on in labor. So she wasn't quite pushing yet. And this um, was your fourth one. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Yeah. You, you you have a like a limit at a certain point you don't take calls from your patients anymore. Yes, once yes, once the yeah. okay. <laughs> but this was a very important call that I knew I needed to to have with Donna. Well, I take it you that you and Terry and many if not all of your patients you develop over time this kind of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a it's a journey together and in head and neck it's an interesting journey because the surgeons are typically the point person for life, no matter what treatment they get, whether it's surgery, chemo, or radiation. We generally follow our patients for life just because of the training that we have and the examinations that are required by ear, nose, and throat physician. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. In different types of cancer, the surgeon is not the primary person. It's their oncologist. But in head and neck cancer, it's a little different. And you're going to have that, the surgeon's going to have that ongoing relationship with the patient. That's correct. So back to your cancer, you had your second operation, your radiation and chemo. Was that it? Uh, unfortunately, no. About a year and a half after that, um, it was discovered in one of the normal um, um, diagnostic exams that the cancer had moved to the uh, right lung. So then it had become metastatic. So the you keep having the percentages going against you, right? That's true. So what does that mean, Matt, that it, that it went to Terry's lung? So once it gets outside the head and neck, in general, we consider it incurable for most uh, with our standard therapies. And at least 10 to 15 years ago, that's what we would, we would tell people, that with, with the chemo or radiation that we could, can do for you, the survival is, is limited to two years. But obviously that wasn't the case with Terry. That's correct. 
So what has changed that 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 made him still here? Well, there's uh, many different clinical trials that we have in head and neck at the James. And in fact, uh, he enrolled on one of uh, an early clinical trial testing new agents. Um, and he's been on multiple clinical trials and, and has always responded extremely well for a while uh, to each of each of the agents that we give them in novel drugs. Is this would this be targeted or precision cancer therapy or even immunotherapy? Um, immunotherapy was the, is the, the last that he's tried and still on to date. Um, but before that, uh, there were different agents that we were using at that time. Uh, one to target uh, blood vessels along with standard chemotherapy. And with each of those treatments, uh, he responded well, but it didn't last f- forever. So, Terry, you're at that stage where your cancer is not cured, but hopefully not going what it's under control. And there's hopefully multiple clinical trials down the road if you need them. Well, the first trial was with a with two platinum based chemicals, plus a, 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 a immunotherapy chemical. And the the tumor was shrinking as long as we were on the platinum based um, therapy. Soon as that finished, then it started to grow again. And that's when we went to the um, um, the immunotherapy-based um, treatment. It was, again, another clinical trial. And is that what you're on now, or are you off I, that clinical trial? I am st- well, it's off the clinical trial. That was a two-year trial, but I'm still on the same immunotherapy drug. And how long will you be on that? Uh, we shall see. Um, as long as they think that there is some benefit, they will keep me on it. So, Matt, what does that mean? And like, how would we sort of categorize Terry's condition today? Um, Managed is probably the best way to say about it, that it's being managed uh, with the immunotherapy and occasionally surgery he's had. uh, But in general, it's the immunotherapy that's building his immune system to uh, keep it from growing. Was there surgery? What other surgeries did you have? Well, the, uh, the, after the, we went on the clinical trial with the immunotherapy by itself, the drug. Um, the, the, uh, the tumors and the lymph nodes that were cancerous in the right lung disappeared within nine months. They were gone. And we keep going through, after that, you, you go through uh, CT scans as checks, typically every three months. And they were still clear for over two years. So after the two-year period, which was the clinical trial, then the oncologist said, well, what do we do next? Nobody has gone down this road before. So we decided to, instead of every two weeks getting the immunotherapy, go to every four weeks. And that lasted for a, for, for a full year, um, still with C- CT scans showing everything being clear. So after the, that, that next year, then we went to, instead of every four weeks, every eight weeks. So we're sort of weaning off the, the immunotherapy drug to see what would happen. Um, within a couple months after that, um, um, I started developing some symptoms with my right arm, and they finally ended up doing a, uh, an MRI of the brain, and there was a, um, a tumor in the brain. When, when, was, when did they find this, roughly? That was in um, May of 2018. And so, Matt, how do you treat that? Uh, it's a very atypical location for this tumor to go to the go to the brain. Um, but you can do one of two things. If there, there's, if it's causing functional impact, our neurosurgeons can take it out. 
uh, and then do radiation uh, to the brain to prevent any further growth or any other tumors from popping up in that location. Is is that what you did in Terry's case? It was a craniotomy. Um, uh, Matt wasn't involved. It was a neurosurgeon at the hospital. But they did a craniotomy, and it was mostly a lot of fluid that built up around the tumor. The tumor was very small. It was only like a, a, a thumbnail-sized tumor. But because of all the fluid that built up, it was creating this pressure and affected the nerves. Um, but uh, they removed that successfully, and they did five days of radiation just around where the, the, the tumor was in the brain. Um, and everything went well for about three months until the next MRI, and there was another tumor in the brain that they found. Um, so they decided for that tumor, because it was just still small and there's no fluid around it, to do a gamma knife radiation to eliminate it, which they did and was successful. Wow. And 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 I'm hoping the answer is no, but anything since then? Uh, yes. <laughs> Boy. Um, after that, uh, uh, there was about an uh, eight-month period until February of last year, where another site showed up. There's a lymph node in the left lung. And it, they weren't sure exactly what it was. There was no biopsy, um, but they just watched it for a little bit, and it still was growing. So they decided to do radiation um, on that um, particular lymph node, and that was done in February of uh, 19. And then uh, ever since, they've done CT scans of that, and it's been um, shrinking and no other signs of uh, being uh, cancerous. So, Matt, how rare is this in terms of your patients to have all these ongoing uh, episodes? It's very rare. About 20% of patients can have a really amazing response to immunotherapy that's sustained, uh, just like in Terry's case. Uh, But like he alluded to, we don't know what to do after two or three years once you don't see anything grow. And obviously, in this case, we learned what what to do. And so now that's why I say it's it's being managed. You know, we're slowly, you know, understanding the disease. And as these tumors pop up that are generally very radiation sensitive or sensitive to surgery and continued immunotherapy, uh, that's what we're doing. So it's very personalized care for each one of these individuals. But about 20% respond to this immunotherapy in head and neck. It's amazingly personal care in your case. And what I've read and talked about uh, with other people, you know, once this, the original tumor goes metastatic, you get billions of cancer cells can flow throughout your body. And it takes you know, sometimes one year, two years, three years, four years for actually them to start growing into a tumor. So how is this sort of changed your your life your outlook in the in the sense that you know hopefully for 10 20 30 more years you're going to be dealing with with these things i try not to look ahead that far it's just you know if something comes up you have to decide on how you're going to deal with it It, it's been very different uh, different treatments different locations so you just can't plan that much ahead you know we say we always plan from scan to scan which is like three months away so you just have to learn to, to, to live with it that way. So, Matt, on, on your side of it, how do you uh, think about long-term for Terry and, and planning and, and how you're going to help him? I have a very similar personality to Terry. I'm very data and action-oriented and thinking about what's the next step if plan A, B, C, D. And so... Uh, for him, I, I don't look too far in the future. I just say, hey, what's the next step and what are we going to do and how are we going to tackle it as a team? And fortunately, we're, we have 
uh, many new clinical trials now opening up that are trying to improve on that 20% statistic. And so we're adding different uh, agents to immunotherapy to really prime the immune system to be more specific at targeting the cancer cells. And so as these come online, we're going to be thinking about the, the options uh, for him and for our patients that are, that are doing similarly to, to Terry. Yeah, that in the eight or nine years since you were first diagnosed, the options and improvements in treatment have just been spectacular. When I think back just five years ago when the cancer, in my case, went metastatic, the only message you got was you have X number of months to live. There is no cure. We can only try to extend your life. That was the message. Now the message is completely different. There, As Matt said, there's options A, B, C, D. So there are, and every year, um, you find new things that are coming up that can treat you. So it's no longer a death sentence when it goes metastatic. Matt's mentioned a lot of statistics. Sure. Um, and statistics are very, very useful for researchers, for um, the, the physicians, for even government agencies on what to fund for the general population as far as what's working, what may not be working. But as a patient, you only have to be concerned with one statistic, and that's your own. Because you just don't know what might work for you. As we talked about before, it's highly individualized. So we don't know what might work for you and what uh, will keep you going. And it's interesting you say that. We've never discussed this, but that's something I tell my patients today when they ask, what's my percentage? I said, well, it's either going to be 100% or zero. I said, you are you. And if I give you a percentage, that's the average of all the people that underwent that. And it may give you a better idea of where you may be heading, but you're heading either a good way or a bad way, and we're going to help you through that. So, yeah. and, and Terry has beaten the percentages. Absolutely. Thank you both for being here. Uh, thank you, Terry and Donna, for sharing your, your amazing cancer journey story, and, and good luck for, for many, many years to come. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Matt, for, for taking such good care of Terry. Thank you, Steve. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.